He is a man who has survived perilous situations most people could never imagine being in. He makes a living helping others prepare for life-threatening situations. So it should come as no surprise that Ed Calderon has held court with death countless times. With a job description that included protecting high-risk targets from kidnapping, directly confronting drug cartels, sometimes destroying their production operations and executing warrants, Ed was part of a shadowy, hybrid military police unit that he still can't talk about to this day. Too much specifics could put his former colleagues or even himself at risk. He's just a few years off the job and the threats he faced are still very real. The evil he was up against over the course of his career that forces him to operate as carefully as possible even today claimed the lives of so many innocent victims. Their names and fates never to be known by him their families, or anyone for that matter. But some of his near-death experiences with the real Grim Reaper hit much closer to home and often involved people he considered more than just colleagues. A lot of the people that I went through the training with, uh, it was always a a generational thing. So if you came out of the academy with me, we were from the same generation, we would have a connection. We basically suffered together and we came up together and there was a connection home. There was a, definitely a friendship and also a brotherhood of, uh, in some regard. You know, if, if you've ever suffered with somebody, you know, that's, that's how you make connections with people. And we suffered a lot. In this case, it was a friend Ed had known since his academy days. And the casualties also included family. He was um, young, uh, got married to... Uh, Got married to a sweet high, high school sweetheart. Um, barely scraped enough money together to get like a very modest house. Uh, and he started a family. He, uh, he was one of the first uh, one of us that had kids, <laughs> which we thought was insane <laughs> uh, because of the life expectancy uh, of the job we had. Um, and um, uh, had a daughter. Uh, going to be descriptive so people can realize how tragic this was. Uh, she had freckles on her nose. We would, uh, we would have these Christmas parties and uh, we would figure out ways of, you know, pulling money together to, to give uh, some of the kids uh, in the group or the people that had kids in the office that we worked in uh, gifts. You know, there was not a lot of kids back then, but there was a few of them. We would always find ways of making you know, Christmas better for them, right? Because their dads were not going to be home. That, that Christmas, uh, we got her, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of toys. And she, we got her a, uh, a bike. So she would ride that bike around the party hall where we had the uh, Christmas party. Uh, she, was, she, was a, she was a cute kid. She was nice. He had a day off, and he went home for for his day off. And as he was driving out with his wife and his kid, uh, they're they're going to the movies. Apparently, two guys uh, stepped out of the corners, uh, carrying FN five seven pistols. FN five seven pistols with a, a high velocity round, made through uh, 
it's 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 uh it's, it defeats body armor if you if you have any soft armor on. And proceeded to unload their pistols into the car of my friend. I killed him, killed uh, killed his wife immediately, and uh, his daughter lost uh, an arm uh, during the attack. And um, it was it was pretty shocking. It's one of the it was you know a few of my friends had already gotten killed, uh, but it, you know it, it never made things easier uh, for you. Kind of going there, seeing the body, and um, having to. Uh, go inside of his house and get some of his equipment and uniform out, informing the parents, all that type of stuff. It was never easy for any of us. Uh, later on, those guns got licked back to uh, Fast and the Furious. An estimated 2,000 guns placed in the hands of criminals as part of the Fast and Furious gun running scandal, which resulted in the death of border agent Brian Terry. In 2009, the now notorious operation Fast and Furious was launched as what was supposed to be an investigation of Mexican criminal networks. Instead, the U.S. government wound up selling weapons to people either known or suspected of being straw buyers for the cartels. Just a few years into both Mexico's war on the cartels and Calderon's career, and due to insufficient monitoring of those weapons after they were sold, Many of those guns disappeared into the belly of the beast before reappearing at crime scenes on both sides of the border. U.S. Border Patrol agent Brian Terry's death exposed the botch operation to the world. For Ed, the attack on his friend's family wouldn't be the last crime scene where he could trace the weapons used back to the U.S. government. We didn't know anything about that because there was a weird... uh... It was a weird silence between uh, authorities on the U.S. side and the Mexico side during that whole time. But, uh, yeah, I learned about Fast and the Furious by watching CNN and how one of those guns was used to kill a U.S. federal agent. Um, And by that time, a lot of my friends had been killed by some of those guns. And they never got any, you know, they never got any airtime in the news. now, they never they were never mentioned as part of the investigation that I that I saw and we kept finding these guns out there and it was just kind of disheartening you know uh, I don't know it was a pretty horrible loss uh, for some of us uh, for some of us that were really close to him and to, I mean to this day we, we we all kind of pull money together for the orphans left behind by uh, by some of these tragedies that was part of the, the job description down there. Um, Tragedy. Tragedy may have been part of the unwritten job description for Ed and his colleagues, but when death came knocking again, it sparked something in him that still has never left. We we didn't know any better. Um, During some of the initial times we would would get uh, sent to places to work, Uh, we would get whole, uh, whole floors of a hotel rented out and that's what we're, where we would stay we kind of set up our own little command center there and uh set up watch and everything two of the guys that i worked with one of them was a one very close guy he actually went through the academy with me um i'll say his name uh uh arenas was his name um he uh he's a great guy highly educated guy he was a lawyer so he could have made way more money and lived a longer life if he didn't go into that job. But he was a 
he was an ide an idealist guy. Um, yeah, so I really appreciated that about him. Um, uh, there was a buddy system, so if you wanted to go out, you had to go out with somebody else. So he, I wasn't there, and he, usually it was me and him would go out. Uh, if you wanted to go to the store, if you wanted to go anywhere like that, you would, you would have to go with somebody else. So there was somebody else that time, and I was I think I was working. Um, he went outside, and a van showed up with a bunch of cartel guys dressed as federal police officers and proceeded to arrest them. Uh, according to witnesses, uh, one of our guys being arrested kind of realized that these guys weren't legit by seeing, I think, I think some of these guys were wearing sneakers or something like that. They weren't wearing uh, the, the, the tactical black boots. Some small element like that caught his eye, so he screamed out, these guys aren't cops, and they started to try to make a run for it. Um, they, they got beat down, uh, they got disarmed, uh, and as they were trying to be put into a van, my friend uh, took out a folding knife and slashed one of them across the neck. Uh, that's at least part of the stories that, 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 I, that, that I heard uh, from some of the eyewitnesses. Uh, we don't know if he killed him or not, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of blood left behind. It wasn't, wasn't his or the other guys. Um, uh, he was found uh, probably 12 hours later uh, with his uh, ID um, screwed into his forehead, tortured to death, basically. You know, it scared the shit out of all of us. <laughs> That's when we kind of realized that we were we were uh, being targeted. That uh, that people had eyes on us. That we were of interest. That they we were under observation, and that uh, it might be a good idea to start training or figuring out ways of getting out of those types of situations, or not even getting into it. So. Uh, kind of led me into developing my own training regime and looking for ways of augmenting my capabilities as far as awareness training, um, modus operandi of some of these cartel groups and actually cataloging it so I can show it to people. The art of freeing oneself from restraints, what is known as escapology, is not exactly the kind of skill that you can pick up from a book. But once he began looking... Ed started to realize the solutions to some of his problems had been right in front of him the whole time. He just had to open his eyes. Like I had this kid, and I always, always mentioned this kid, Fernando was his name. Fernando was 15. Uh, we got him uh, with, uh, he was a meth dealer, basically. We wanted to talk to him to get to his uh, distributor. Uh, we put handcuffs on him. He put him in the back of a car, and he got free and made a run for it. And caught him, uh, and he said, uh, "So, how did you get out of those handcuffs?" <laughs> and some of the guys that I was with wanted to beat the living crap out of him. Um, I was a bit more sensible and I sat him down, and asked him to show me how he did it, and that was my first uh, my first lesson into how to get out of handcuffs by a 15 year old kid named Fernando. <laughs> Um, some of these things basically are unheard of as far as uh, tradecraft or actually training material for people in Mexico. Uh, and I 
I thought, well, why is that? Since there's a lot of it happening here, I think it's a pretty good skill set to have. Uh, so I started kind of developing a training program for that type of thing. I started with some of my guys. Um, then I got asked by certain members of the government and government age, uh, government, uh, representatives to do some of that training for their people and for their uh, families. And that eventually kind of led me into training people on an international level, uh, with this type of stuff. Basically, I just stumbled, uh, I stumbled into a subject matter that wasn't being really being kind of covered. Nobody was really, really kind of cataloging it. And nobody was really kind of trying to figure out ways around it or out of it, um, specifically for Mexico. You know, I think that's the main difference between what I show and other people show out there is that this stuff was made in Mexico where the problem is still present. It's not something where that's something that's already passed. It's something that's already, that's still here and it's still evolving. That's, I think that's kind of one of the unique elements behind it. We're going to hold that thought and come back after this brief mention from our sponsor. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. One of the other unique lessons Ed learned over the course of his career, both from his enemies and his paramilitary colleagues, was the power that symbols can have over people. Symbols like Mexico's unofficial and sometimes criminal saints. And Ed learned it wasn't just the hardened narcos he was fighting who would leave offerings at their feet. When I first started working, uh, a lot of the guys that I would work with would have uh, Santa Muerte, the Holy Death, uh, iconography on them. And uh, Santa Muerte has you know, traditionally been like a, a hidden faith among criminals uh, usually or people that work risky risky jobs uh, or prostitutes, uh, drug dealers um, uh, but also there's a lot of there's a lot of cops and a lot of people within the military that actually are also part of the faith a phenomenon that is quickly spreading into American cities it's the cult of Saint Death her true origin remains a mystery. Many say it dates back centuries and even predates Christianity. She is Santa Muerte or Saint Death. And more and more Mexicans are turning to her for answers to their prayers. The Catholic Church has denounced Santa Muerte as Satanism. The government of Mexico has taken away its official recognition of a church devoted to worshiping her. But that has not stopped millions from doing just that. You can kind of trace it back all the way back to Aztec times. And it's it's probably related to uh, Aztec uh, mother goddess deity that was kept alive by the people that followed her cult uh, by hiding it within Catholic iconography and uh, Hellenic iconography. So that's that's why you... You see this modern representation of this reaper uh, with an hourglass and an owl. And way back when, it was actually a, a, a skeletal figure with a skirt made of uh, snakes and uh, connections to the underworld. Probably only surviving, undisturbed lineages of uh, Aztec religion still selected out there. When I first got active, uh, a lot of the people that I was working with were carrying around iconography related to Santa Muerte. 
and you know they would you know, they would screw with our minds at times they would you know make us go buy a bottle uh, of mezcal or tequila tell us that we were going to go uh, go leave flowers to the, the to la patrona the boss and i thought we were going to the cathedral to uh, leave flowers to the virgin mary or something and then they would uh, you know do a different turn and all of a sudden you were at the uh a witch's market, uh, which is like a, an occultist market that is in downtown Tijuana, near the cathedral. And most of these markets are near the cathedral because that's how they charge their uh, different, uh, you know, amulets and iconography, uh, especially on, uh, on Good Friday. So I get there and there's a skeletal uh, figure inside of this uh, small space with a bunch of candles and a bunch of letters and bullet casings and crucifixes and flowers and bottles of whiskey and bottles of all these things there. And, uh, and one of the guys tells me to leave a bottle there and to, 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 to ask for her protection, basically. Um, later on, I realized it's, uh, it was their way of showing me how some of this stuff isn't scary. Or it shouldn't. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be have an effect on me as far as uh, fear goes. It was. It was their version of a captured ISIS flag. That's the clearest way of explaining how what what some of this iconography was for them. Uh, and that's how you know, that's how I treated it in a lot of ways. Mexicans have a relationship to death that is completely unique. I think. I grew up uh, celebrating Day of the Dead by sleeping over in uh, graveyards and having dinner with my dead relatives uh, sitting on their graves. That's that's common in Mexico. It's not it's not something pretty common in the U.S. But it's a uh, relationship to death down there is pretty different. Um, Mexico is very Catholic, but in a way, part of the Catholicism in Mexico has always been rebellious. And it's always been like, uh, yeah, we're Catholic and everything. We go to church, but we're also going to make up our own saints, even if you don't, don't agree with them. <laughs> you could have tolerate them. Uh, so, you know, Mexico never really kind of let go of its, uh, it's kind of like a, a pre-Hispanic paganist roots. Um, if there's a need for a faith or a need for a saint that isn't really kind of there, for Mexicans, uh, we'll make it. We'll, we'll come up with one. You know, I think that's what you see a lot with some of these uh, newer folk saints, uh, these newer criminal kind of uh, the, the ones that criminals kind of adopt for themselves. And that's that's what usually what you'll see. They're filling a void um, uh, that is specific to their needs. Uh, that's what you usually see with some of these faiths. Malverde is a pretty beautiful example of that. I mean, when I say beautiful, because it's a Malverde is a is, he's a forbidden saint. You know, he's not recognized by the Catholic Church. He's like the classic quintessential cartel narco saint. Uh, you can see the pictures of him, and it's always a, 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 a man with a mustache and a white shirt on. Uh, you know classic quintessential Mexican male, you know, black hair. He was a thief. He, he used to rob well-off uh, well uh, well families and uh, certain um, rich people uh, in Sinaloa. 
and he would rob from them and the, the, the legend goes that he would give some of that uh, money to the poor a Robin Hood type character this, this is turn of the century eventually government forces uh, issued a uh, reward for his arrest or his capture uh, in one of the uh, robberies he did he was injured and he knew that his time was almost up so he told one of his best friends to basically uh, turn him over and to give the reward money to the townspeople. Um, he did that. The, uh, the, the government uh, forces hung him from a tree. Uh, and his friend gave the money to the townspeople. Um, they, the, the government forces didn't allow the townspeople to bury his body. Uh, there was an order to leave him hanging from the tree. Till his body basically fell off. Um, legend goes that uh, a way that the townspeople got around the order not to bury his body is that each of the members of the town went over and put a rock on top of his body. Uh, by the end of the uh, by the end of the day, he was buried under a mound of stones, and each of those stones was placed by somebody that benefited from the money he gave to them. Um, that mound of stones eventually turned into a shrine and his shrine is still venerated and, and visited in, in Sinaloa. And you go to his shrine and it's just covered in pictures of people giving thanks. Uh, people that uh, crossed the border illegally into the U.S. and uh, made it, made their, found the American dream out there. You know, they had there's pictures of some of them on there. Cartel guys that uh, crossed a load of drugs into the U.S. and made it back and now they have a pickup truck and see a picture of the pickup truck there with a letter of thanks on there. You know, there's a, it's pretty interesting, it's a pretty inter interesting space to kind of visit. Uh, but the, uh, the whole forbidden, forbidden saint aspect of it is pretty, it's pretty kind of unique to Mexico. Eventually, Ed would be inspired to create what is effectively a forbidden saint of his own. The Sneak Reaper. Originally inspired by the unit he worked with in Mexico, now it's much more. A nickname, a company logo, an internationally recognized symbol among those in the know. And it's the skeleton-faced heart and soul of a broader life philosophy of self-reliance that Ed was forging, whether he knew it at the time or not. I remember one of my friends giving me a... a, a my first uh, Santa Marta escapulario, which is like a it's like a piece of cloth with uh, Santa Marta, the image of Santa Marta on it, and uh, a string that you would hang on your neck. Um, when we were working plain plain clothes, uh, people would look at it and assume everything about us. You know, they would say, "Oh, this guy's probably into drugs. It's probably this guy's a criminal because he's wearing that." So we would use it in a way to kind of. Uh, to kind of make people assume things about us. He gave me that and he told me, just remember, she's on everybody's side. You know, death is on everybody's side. So you, you would see, you know, you would see cartel members on one side wearing it and we would see police and some of us were wearing it on the other. So it was confusing to them in a way, which is exactly what we wanted. We use it as a psychological warfare tool in a way. And it kind of brings me back to the whole things have the power over us that we give them. Um, and uh, 
you know, black magic at its core is just a form of weaponized psychology. And I think a lot of those older guys, when we would come in, that's what they were trying to show us, how to weaponize this black magic against the people that were using it. So uh, we came up with this unit logo. It's basically a, it's a naked skeleton without a jaw on it. Uh, and if you, it's a, it's a logo that I use. Uh, it's, a, it's my company logo now. It's an image that it's a kind of like a, like an inside joke uh, for some of us that would, used to work in that office. Uh, it's a naked skeleton because we wouldn't get any gear or equipment from the uh, from our office. I mean, it was rare to get anything, right? So we would always have this uh, running joke that we would go out uh, to work naked. Uh, so that was kind of like a you know self-deprecating joke as far as having that naked skeleton. There's a there's a Santa Muerte initiation ritual where they stab you in the foot. Uh, and the Sneak Reaper has that left foot raised. Another element that I put into the uh, skeleton design is that the, its hands are tied with, a zip, with zip ties, and it has a knife on its, in its hands. So even it, when it's tied up, it's dangerous. Uh, those zip ties were the exact zip ties that were placed on my friend that was taken. And that knife is that knife that he took out, and it was zip tied and still took out a knife and slashed one of the guys that was taking him. Uh, so that, those, the, that, that's kind of like some of the elements in the design. It doesn't have a jaw on it because we were, you know, one of our main things is that we would never talk about, uh, we, we, would, we, would, uh, we would keep everything in the group, right? So we would kind of uh, you know, keep our mouths shut about things uh, when we were working. So that's like a precept of keep your mouth shut. So we didn't have a jaw there, so we can jab about anything. Basically, that minimalistic skeleton, uh, naked skeleton with its hands tied and a knife in its hands is made to symbolize the whole, uh, everybody's capable of being dangerous at any time, even if they're handcuffed, even if they're bound. What makes you dangerous is your nature. What makes you dangerous is your motivation. What makes you dangerous is your will to survive. What makes you dangerous is purpose. Most of the dangerous people I've seen or met in the world, or most of the dangerous people that I've got to learn from, they all share one thing, purpose. From the uh, scout sniper friend of mine who who went into the service with a clear mental path of what he wanted to experience and do for his country, to uh, the cartel kid who's 17 who wants to buy a house for his mother and doesn't care who gets in the way of that and doesn't even use uh, front sights on his rifle. But he somehow has killed more people than most... Uh, you know, internet celebrity shooters out there. What makes him dangerous, what makes both of them dangerous is purpose. So that, uh, that skeleton kind of symbolizes a little bit of that. It symbolizes purpose. It doesn't matter if you're tied up. It doesn't matter if you don't have anything with you. If you have purpose behind you, that, that's what makes you dangerous. Coming up in our next episode of Alchemy of Violence, Ed explains how promotion to a supposedly less dangerous job wound up forcing him to run for his life. Some of the replacements that were sent in for me 
uh, were on the news uh, laid out on the street and got ambushed. And how some of his colleagues weren't as lucky in their options. Most of them went to work for, for one, of the, one of the bigger cartels uh, in Mexico. It's a new Frankenstein monster that was created. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.